Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Randomly Accessed, your entertainment-based podcast discussing film, television, and sometimes gaming, presented by MX. Now, since this is the first episode of this new podcast, I just wanted to give a quick rundown as to what the podcast is going to be about. The way that we would like for it to be set up is that on any given episode, we're going to discuss primarily one film, show, and then me and occasionally a guest, we will discuss the things that we enjoyed and the things that we disliked. And ultimately, we're going to give a recommendation whether or not that game, TV, or movie is worth your time. And therefore, for the first episode of the Randomly Access podcast, we're going to be discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is the extended version from Zack Snyder of the Justice League movie that came out in 2017. But to really get an understanding as to why this version was released at all, or why that the original was so poorly received, I think we have to go back to Batman vs. Superman specifically. Now at the time, that was supposed to be the introduction to Batman and Wonder Woman as well. So they didn't have their own movies at the time. And at the same time, eventually Warner Brothers released Suicide Squad in 2016, and then Wonder Woman in 2017, right before this movie was supposed to be released. Now, for most of these movies, starting going back to Man of Steel, they had mixed reception for the most part. They had made pretty much most of their money back and a little bit more, but Warner Brothers wasn't necessarily satisfied with those results as well. And one that was poorly received was Batman versus Superman. Now, looking back at the movie... I'm not a tremendous fan of that movie. I remember watching it in theaters, coming out mostly disappointed. You do get the aforementioned Batman vs. Superman, you see them fight. And that part can be entertaining, but the movie as a whole is, for me, a mess. It's not the most entertaining movie for me personally. But at the same time, audience members as well, and as well as critics, were not as impressed either. It had really poor reception. But because of that poor reception, we have to remember that at the time, they were still working on the original Justice League. So Snyder and Warner Brothers got the results of Batman vs. Superman, and Warner Brothers was becoming worried. And then that's when they wanted to mandate changes to lighten the film or make it more accessible for general audiences. So at the time, they brought in Josh Whedon, which a lot of people know from the first Avengers movie, and Avengers Age of Ultron, and he was supposed to do some rewrites for the script to quote-unquote improve it. And then this is where tragedy unfortunately struck for Zack Snyder. He had a personal tragedy with his family, so he had to step away from the project, and then that's when Josh Whedon was put in director's chair to finish the original film. Now, the reason I know some of this information is because you can go like on The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and some stuff on YouTube, and it discusses those production problems. And then eventually, Josh was able to get them done, and then we got the original film. Now, the thing is, why release then this version? If the original wasn't real received, normally they don't put in more money into another version of the film. Because if the first film sucked, then why would you want to waste money on another one? Now, the original Justice League got $650 million at the box office and around 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it was a very disliked film overall. And I disliked that movie as well. I've only seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters and then I saw it once probably a few years ago. And to give a brief summary, it's a 
very messy film. It, it's very Frankenstein's monster. It, it has a lot of the Josh Whedon humor that he has from his Marvel movies. And then it's mixed in with Snyder's more serious tone. And another thing, it's an ugly, ugly film. One big scene that sticks out to me is the ending fight with Steppenwolf in that film. It's like a red landscape. Everything looks just, it's just too much. It, lo it looks ugly. It left a bad, horrible taste in my mouth. I did not want to see that, that film ever again. And after that, it didn't make me really excited to see any other DC movie as well. At the same time in that movie, we had the characters Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman. They're barely introduced. You know, I didn't have really a connection to any of them. And after that, I was just like, okay, whatever DC releases, I'll probably end up watching it. But I'm not going out of my way to really enjoy this film. Now, eventually DC, I think, was able to get its bearings together. It did, did a bit of a reset, in my opinion. And then it kind of did take its time to establish other movies. We eventually did get the Aquaman movie in 2018, which is, uh, <laughs> it is a movie. We have Shazam that was released in 2019 and Birds of Prey that was released in 2020. So one would think that Warner Brothers is starting to get its act together. You know, they those three movies that I mentioned, for me, are much better movies than the, than the Snyder films overall. So do you think, why, why would you revisit Justice League? Why would you want to remake this movie? So the thing is, like, Snyder is credited as the director, but in reality, it wasn't his vision or wasn't his completed movie. So fans of his started the hashtags, uh, release the Snyder Cut movement, especially to show that, you know, people did want to see Snyder at least be able to complete this movie. And, you know, throughout the years, there had been rumors, there had been hearsay, some executives would be like, there, there's no such movie. that never existed. But then some people would, would say, oh, yeah, it does exist. We filmed so much film. And for me, I never really paid attention to it because I was like, nah, it, it probably doesn't exist. It's probably just something that fans with wishful thinking had. But then eventually, Snyder was given a shot. I read an article in 2020, and then that's when it was announced that they were releasing a Snyder Cut. And Warner Brothers was going to put it on its streaming service, HBO Max, which that's where I watched it. So after so many years, we finally got the chance to see Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, just to give quick impressions of the film, I did enjoy it. I thought that it was significantly better than the original. But now we're going to discuss as to why uh, I think the movie is significantly better than the original. So let's talk about the first thing, which is the plot itself. Now, the plot, for the most part, is pretty much the same as the original. In Batman vs. Superman, Superman dies. And then Steppenwolf comes down to Earth to retrieve these devices called Mother Boxes. Basically, the Mother Boxes, they're like any other MacGuffin. They're going to destroy the Earth. They're going to blow everything up. It doesn't matter what they are. But they're just the devices that will destroy the planet. And Steppenwolf is after them. So the movies like that are pretty much the same. But then this film has a lot more than that of the original. So first thing, it's length. Like I said, this movie is four hours long. So I understand where a lot of people have that trepidation. They're like, do I really want to sit down and watch a four hour film? But thankfully, there are a few things to kind of mitigate this. The first of all, the film is broken up to six chapters and there's an epilogue as well. So if you do not have time to watch it in one sitting, you can watch it in a few chunks if you want to. 
for my first viewing, I did sit down and watch it in one sitting. And I only took a break midway for a few minutes. And then we came back and I felt like the movie was mostly the same. And then the second time I did watch it over a period of few days and just watched like two chapters or so. But despite its length, it's actually very well paced. Most of the scenes are extended. But the thing is, they don't bog down the movie, but they actually enhance the experience. The film, like the original, does have action sequences, but I think they had uh, improved graphics. And there was especially longer fights. And one would think, oh, well, you know, the fights in the original weren't that impressive. But in this one, they were largely the same in, in spirit. But the extra scenes, I thought, really took advantage of its runtime. So the thing is, when it comes to the plot, like I said, the plot is largely the same, but there's several key differences. And one of them is the context in this movie. As I kind of briefly mentioned, in Batman vs. Superman, there's an ultimate edition. And in the ultimate edition, there's some minor scenes that kind of add more to Superman's story in particular in that one. And the thing is, when I watched it, I was surprised that it wasn't in the original. I was like, these scenes are actually kind of important. They make the plot feel more cohesive, despite the movie still being not my favorite. And in this one, you have the similar issue. One of the big things that caught my attention was a fight in the beginning with the Amazonians. So the Amazonians are the first ones to get attacked by Steppenwolf, like in the original. But in this one, there is a pivotal moment in it. And like in the original, the temple is sealed in with Steppenwolf fighting these Amazonians. Now, the thing is, the the biggest thing that for me caught my attention in the original is like, they're trying to seal in Steppenwolf, but the man (laughs) teleported it into the temple. It's not like he walked through the door. He teleported it in. So they're sealing him in this stone temple. For what? He breaks out just a second later. I'm like, well, what was the point? I'm like, it, it doesn't really make sense as to why the Amazonians would go to such length to try to seal the temple. And they make it a big deal in the, in the original as well. In the original, there's the slow-mo action. There's the women knocking the, the stones down. You know, it's very dramatic. But then in this one, there is an extra part in that. The thing is, when they're sealing the temple, the temple actually collapses into the sea. And one would say, oh, okay, well, what does that do? But the thing is, it actually shows that the Amazonians were actually risking their lives to try to stop Steppenwolf, if not seriously injure him, maybe try to kill him, which, I mean, still can be a little dumb, but it actually makes that scene, for me, make a lot more sense. It's like, oh, okay, the Amazonians, this is like a last resort type thing. It makes Steppenwolf seem a more formidable threat. They're like, okay, you can't stop him, but you could try to slow him down whichever way you can. Now, granted, he still escapes. You still have that sequence where he's trying to steal the mother boxes from the Amazonians. That sequence overall is much more improved. And then there is another smaller scene that I thought added to a little bit of Aquaman's character. Now, Aquaman in the original, and in this one, unfortunately, I think was not given that much to do. But in this one, there is a moment where Aquaman is traveling to Atlantis and he sees like a statue of either one of the Atlantean kings And that's where he meets Folco, which is Willem Dafoe's character. He's like a mentor to Aquaman. But in this one, he actually encounters Falco way before he encounters Steppenwolf. In the original film, Steppenwolf, after defeating the Amazonians, does go to Atlantis and steals their mother box that they have. 
The issue with that scene is like Aquaman appears to kind of show up out of nowhere and help. Which, I mean, he fails against Steppenwolf because Steppenwolf teleports away. But in this scene, Aquaman is given a moment with Falco. Falco is explaining that the mother box is in danger, that his half-brother Orm is not really doing anything to stop the situation. He's distracted with a war or something, something to that degree. It doesn't really matter. But then he gives him his mother's trident and he also gives him armor. It was Mira that gives him all that stuff. The thing is, you didn't have a connection that that was his mother's trident. You didn't have a connection that that armor was important to any degree. It was just armor. A big theme of this movie, I would say, is just the added context that makes certain scenes make a lot more sense than they previously did. They may be small and they may add to its length, but I think that they definitely improved the film overall. And those were just a few examples to kind of explain that there is more context in these movies. But I think it's important to not only just discuss plot context, which I just discussed a little bit, but the most important element I think that was added to was the character development. There were three characters that have already been introduced into the DCEU. You already have Superman. He already had his own movie in Man of Steel. You had Batman. And then you also had Wonder Woman in Batman vs. Superman. So we already know a little bit about these characters. Granted, we don't have like a full movie, but we're at least more familiar with them. And then eventually in 2017, right before this movie, you did have the original Wonder Woman movie. So we know a lot more about her, why she's not with the, she's not helping people regularly, which is kind of contradicted in Wonder Woman 1984, but that's beside the point. But in this movie, we have three new characters. We have The Flash, we have Cyborg, and we have Aquaman. And I think the one that got the most time in the original was probably The Flash. Cyborg, for the most part, is there just to disable the mother boxes. We do get brief moments where he's talking about how he's born of the boxes and other stuff. Aquaman is there uh, to look like Aquaman. But he doesn't really interact with most of the members until later on in the movie. But a key component is Batman. He is the one that brings all the members of the Justice League together. And he's the main one that proposes that they should bring Superman back to life with the Mother Boxes. And whereas Batman was the central figure in the original film, the one that is central in the Snyder Cut version is Cyborg. Cyborg is given an actual backstory in this movie. We see his time in college. We see that he was a football player. We, we know that he's a genius. Both of his parents were very uh, smart people. He had a great relationship with his mother. He had a very uh, resentful relationship with his father. And, you know, this makes for an interesting dynamic. Now, it's a little bit cliched. I feel like we have the kind of family issues in other movies as well, but it adds a little bit more to Cyborg's character. And the thing is, in the original film, Cyborg is very much left out of that movie. In this movie, we see how he became Cyborg. There is, unfortunately, an accident involving him and his mother. His mother dies and he barely survives. And then his father, guilt-stricken, is actually meddling with the boxes. He uses the box to bring back his son. And Cyborg, from the beginning, is a very moody character. He's been shot from everyone. He is brooding at his father's place. He, but the, at the same time, he does interact with his father and his father explains his powers 
in this movie. In the original film, we get like the general sense of what Cyborg's powers could be, but we don't really see them really in action. He is, it seems like more or less, he's just like a tech guy. Like he's just hacking into things. It doesn't really seem all that extravagant or all that interesting for the most part. Versus in the Snyder Cut version, he's given plenty of time to show off his power. And you see them through these visions. They kind of remind me of 2000s era Linkin Park music videos where they're zooming out and it's just like, it's a fast landscape. And you see like a treasury building. You see the bull and a bear fighting each other. And then Cyborg with his hands splits them up in this weird vision. It's, it is a little goofy, but I think it does get the point across as to what his powers are. And I think that that's where this movie gives Cyborg's character, especially a lot of time to breathe and a lot of time to develop. And then at the same time, his relationship with the Justice League is changed as well. In the original Justice League, he's kind of following Batman and, and Wonder Woman. He's kind of digging into them in that movie. But then in this version, Cyborg is kind of like off doing his own thing. He knows that the mother boxes are doing something because his father has one and he sees it acting up, but he's not sure why. He doesn't re- it doesn't really seem like he's that interested. But then Wonder Woman is the one that seeks him out. And then that's when they have an interaction with each other. In the original, Cyborg is like kind of doing digging into them. But in, in this movie, they're digging into Cyborg. They want to recruit him. But Cyborg is very moody. He's not very... It seems like more or less he's self-centered. But the thing is, in reality, it's more that he's very much like a very sad character. He doesn't seem convinced, you know, by the members of the League. There, There's a scene in the original and in this one when the Wonder Woman is talking to him about joining. And Cyborg does, pretty much does the same thing. He doesn't agree to join. But in this one, he like flies to Wonder Woman and he's like, no, I don't want to help anyone. The world is bad and all this stuff. But Wonder Woman is trying to convince him, you know, trying to make him understand that there are bigger things going on. But Cyborg still isn't convinced. And he hides the mother box away. But then it starts to change whenever his father is kidnapped by the parademons, Steppenwolf's goons. And then that's when Cyborg is like, okay, I will go out and help the members of the League to save my father. Now, that pretty much happens, like in the original film. But I think that once we've established this relationship with father and son, it very much makes us kind of root for the relationship. And that way they can improve. And his father also plays a very important part in helping the members of the Justice League. In this movie, Superman is brought back to life. He very much acts like the same thing like he does in the original. During that moment of chaos, Steppenwolf comes and actually steals the mother box. Now, he does that in the original, but he also does that in this one. But there is another element to it. Cyborg's father actually takes the mother box and he tries to, quote unquote, destroy it. Steppenwolf is charging in there. He's like, embrace the mother box and all this stuff. Cyborg sees his father basically destroy himself, quote unquote, trying to destroy the mother box. And then Steppenwolf gets the box and runs away. After that, then Cyborg realizes that he actually mark the box that way they'll be able to track it down and actually find the mother box from here we have like a much more interesting dynamic than in the original cyborg is not really given this much time and neither is his father his father actually does something heroic cyborg realizes the gravity of the situation by seeing his father killed in front of his eyes and then we're given more motivation we're giving more sympathy with with cyborg specifically and then we're rooting for him. 
and that that's what makes uh, Cyborg such a more interesting character in this film. Now, to talk about some of the other members of the League as well, we have the Flash. Now, the Flash is another character that I didn't feel that there were that many differences in screen time. Now, obviously, there are more moments with Flash, but I, for me, I felt like he was largely the same, except for the ending, where he does have a very important moment. But throughout the film, he still acts like the comedic relief. Which, I mean, he works well. I, I do enjoy his humor. And granted, there are some cut moments from the original where Josh Whedon added like this awkward humor. But Zack Snyder gives some some kind of nice moments uh, with Flash. Well, there's a couple extra scenes. But in this scene in particular, we see that Flash is interviewing for a job. And at the same time, he's checking out this girl. She's looking at him, all this stuff. And then she gets involved in a car accident. So we see him running. We see the lightning going all about him. He, he saves this girl. And so the thing is, I was remembering that in the original film, the first time we see Flash really show off his powers is in front of Batman. Versus in this one, we see how Flash is able to use his powers, how he kind of slows down time. He goes so fast that he, it looks like time is still. At first, I thought that this scene wasn't really necessary. But thinking about it, it really does show off his power before that other scene with Batman. But, and it was pretty funny, even though it was a little awkward. But the thing is, Flash, for me, felt largely the same the way that Flash was presented. Wonder Woman is another character as well. She largely stays the same for me. She still is the, one of the more powerful beings on the team. She's the main one that takes on Steppenwolf. She's the main one that can fight with Superman. But the thing is, she still functions as the expository person. She explains the history with Steppenwolf, with Darkseid. She explains what the mother boxes are. Uh, largely the same as she did in the original. Aquaman, for me, I felt was still kind of sidelined in this movie. I felt like Zack Snyder wasn't really sure what to do with Aquaman, which for me, I, I can kind of forgive because I felt that Aquaman got his own movie in the end. So it's okay that he's sidelined in this movie. Now, he is, like I said briefly earlier, he does have like a little context as to how he gets a spear, how he gets the armor. But at the same time, if he had been left out of this movie and in the original, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. If he's in the movie, it doesn't really bother me. And ultimately, he got a better movie in the end. Now, Superman is still very, very pivotal in this movie. Now, Superman has always been a big figure in the Justice League. He's one of the big three with Batman and Wonder Woman. But the thing is, Superman for me in these DCEU movies, I've never really liked. I've never been a big fan. When I think of Superman, I think of Christopher Reeves. For me, it was far more engaging and more wholesome. I, I'm not a big fan of the Man of Steel backstory. It felt very miserable, very Batman-esque, which Superman is not. Snyder also made him more of a symbol instead of actually being like an actual person than a character, which his symbol of hope, I mean, they blatantly state it. You know, he, he says it in the original film. So that way, his character for me has never been interesting. I'm not a big fan of his relationship with him and Lois. It feels a little awkward. It doesn't really feel like an actual love there. And I think Henry Cavill, unfortunately, is given very little to do in either version of these movies, except look heroic and be epic. Which, I mean, it does work. He does look heroic and epic. But for me, I need more to actually keep me interested in the character. But I think the more pivotal moments in this movie have to do with Lois and Martha, which is Superman's mother. They're moving on from Superman. 
And in the original, it's very much that Lois continues to work. She is sad, but it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, this is tragic. In this movie, you feel Lois's pain. In the movie, she visits his grave every single day. She's depressed. She's not living her life. And there's a very nice scene with her and Martha, where Martha basically tells Lois, live on with your life. That's what he would have wanted. She is still important for Superman. In this movie, it makes a lot more sense as to why she is actually at his grave when Superman comes back to life. Versus in the original, it seemed that Lois was brought there, which didn't make any sense. Like, why Why at that moment they would bring her there? But going back to Superman, he does have some cool moments. I like whenever he gets his black suit, which looks pretty cool when he flies up into the sky and absorbs the sun. Superman is still important, but in terms of a character, I'm not a big fan of him in this movie. But ultimately, I think that the team as a whole feels a lot more whole. It doesn't feel like they're just ragtag team that doesn't know each other so cyborg becomes the main hero of the movie and he really should have been the central character in the original but with this extended version i think that most of the characters get their due diligence and overall it seems that they actually form a team versus in the original where it didn't feel that we got that same conclusion now i can't just talk about the heroes without talking about the villain which in this movie is still steppenwolf he was the villain in the original film, and he continues to be the villain in this one as well, but with some improvements to his character. Now, in the original film, he was still after the mother boxes, but he was going kind of like there for like a revenge type thing. And he was the one that lost the mother boxes on Earth, and he came back seemingly, seemingly random for revenge after Superman had died. And the reason I say that it was random is because in the original film, there's no real explanation as to why he decided at that moment to return. It, it seemed very coincidental. He doesn't ever really mention that the Earth's forces were combined or that they're scattered. It just seemed like he showed up at random. And, you know, in films, there are suspended disbelief. But in this, this version of the film, the mother boxes actually call out to Steppenwolf basically letting him know that Superman is dead because he's the biggest threat and now is the time to actually get the mother boxes and take the earth. Now you could say, well, why didn't he come way before Superman? Why didn't they call it then? But I go back to the same argument, sometimes suspended disbelief. It's still a comic book movie, so I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. His reason for being on earth in the first place now is better. Because since the mother boxes called out to him, he now had a reason to come to Earth and actually take the boxes themselves. Now that I've explained that change, after getting the first uh, mother box from the Amazonians, he begins his quest to take the other two boxes, and he's in constant communication with a character called Desad. And Desad is the intermediary between him and Darkseid, which Darkseid was supposed to be the central villain, kind of like a Thanos-type villain, for the Justice League. Basically, those conversations that Steppenwolf and this character Desad have explain more as to why Steppenwolf is there in the first place. In the original film, he never talks to this character Desad. He does mention Darkseid in one scene, but then he's just there to take the planet. He was the one that lost the mother boxes on Earth, so it's kind of like he's there for revenge, but it didn't even seem like that. He was just trying to take the planet. And he lost the first time. Now he's back 
but not really for revenge. He's just like, I'm going to just take the boxes. You know, there's nothing more to it. But in this iteration of the movie, there's actually a little bit more to it. He is given the backstory that he was involved in a coup that tried to overthrow Darkseid on Apocalypse, which is the planet that they're from. And then it failed. And so he, as punishment, has to conquer so many worlds so that way he can actually return home. So Steppenwolf is trying to redeem himself in the eyes of Darkseid. So he's not just being evil for evil's sake, but adds just this little extra change that makes him at least, maybe not the most interesting villain, but at least you have more explanation as to why he's there in the first place. Another thing that I would like to say is that he's actually more intimidating in this movie as well, which I was kind of surprised by. Like I mentioned earlier, that scene with the Amazonians in the beginning, I felt that he was given much more opportunity to seem more intimidating, to seem more dangerous. And I think a lot of it had to do with probably his creature design. And uh, you can look it up yourselves. You can see the comparison between the original Steppenwolf and then this iteration of Steppenwolf. Now, when I saw images of the Steppenwolf that was going to show up in this movie, I thought it was very, a lot. It was a bit much. I take it back. It wasn't a bit much. It was a lot. He had like these crazy spikes. I saw this one meme where it was like his entire spikes were covering the whole screen. And it did look a little funny. But the thing is, like in the movie, I think his armor and the spikes work for the movie itself, even if I still thought it was a bit much. His original design looked very much generic, more human-like. But he looked like a World of Warcraft character. He didn't look like a like an interdimensional being. And this one, he looked much more alien, so to say. Now, in the comics, I understand that he was supposed to look more human. But, you know, I mean, they change things for movies all the time, and it doesn't affect me personally. But all of this is just to say that Steppenwolf is a villain. He's given a little bit more motivation. He's given a little bit more reason as to why he's on Earth. So that way, at least it makes him a little bit more of an interesting villain. But he still doesn't reach the level of, like, I would say, like a Thanos or even a Loki-type character for me personally. So now that we've discussed most of the characters and some of the elements of the plot... I think it's important to discuss the tone and the feel of this film. Now, as I've mentioned, the Zack Snyder DCEU movies are not really my favorite. But that's not to say that I didn't enjoy parts of those movies. For me, Zack Snyder has this reputation of being style over substance approach to filmmaking. Now, some may disagree, but based on what I've seen in most of his movies, I'd say that's pretty accurate. An example for me would be the movies 300 and Watchmen. Now, both those movies are based on comic books. And for me, I enjoyed both of them. 300 is a visually memorable movie. The characters are simple. But, you know, they have plenty of fun things to do. And the action is especially fun to watch. Watchmen had more quote-unquote complicated characters that are morally gray. And the film is still filled with those visually memorable moments. In those movies... I know less about the original source material, but they still are fun to watch. With Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, I think his darker tone, the more serious tone, didn't really fit the character of Superman especially. It felt like he was trying to make these movies Dark Knight-esque, which means that they're more quote-unquote based in reality. With a character like Superman, you can't really quote-unquote make him realistic in my opinion. He is this being with so much power. He's literally Superman. So the thing is, with Batman, you can make him more realistic because he's a person. 
He has vulnerabilities like any other person. With Superman, the only thing that makes him vulnerable is kryptonite. If that's it, then, you know, I think it's very difficult for anybody to really make Superman like a realistic character. Because of this, the DCEU is supposed to be quote-unquote more realistic, but it's filled with these characters that are larger than life. I was remembering watching a scene with Batman vs. Superman where Superman is off doing some deeds. He's, it's in like in the middle of the film. And real people are talking about, when I mean real people, I mean like people in real life. You have Neil deGrasse Tyson. You have some philosophers talking about Superman as like, oh, we're alone in the universe where we're meeting by this person. It changes the way we think about things. And for me, the way they talk, it, it takes itself too seriously. These are super being, you know, it's not really the most, it's just a weird way to portray these characters, in my opinion. And especially trying to make Superman like a more serious person, I just think that it doesn't really work. Superman overall, for me, is a more hopeful character. Unless they write him like in an Injustice series or sometimes like in an episode of the Justice League, the cartoon, he becomes evil. He's a more hopeful character. He's a, he's a more likable character. So that's the biggest disagreement that I had with these particular movies. And like I mentioned, it's like Superman becomes more of a symbol in these movies versus a character. And the relationship he has with Lois, it's the thing that's supposed to tether him to humanity. It doesn't really feel genuine, which I fault the writers for in these movies. It's not really the fault of Henry Cavill or Amy Adams. And the other one, it's like, you know, Batman is insane and paranoid in these movies. And especially in Batman versus Superman, he's trying to kill Superman. Superman, he's paranoid. He's been, well, obviously in that movie, he's been led on by Lex Luthor. And that, that particular way of portraying Batman is not necessarily without precedent. There have been iterations of him being like that. And that would be like, Batman is always a person thinking, quote unquote, two steps ahead. But like with Batman versus Superman, it's a mess. And then Man of Steel is just depressing for me personally. But going back to the Snyder cut, all of this is to say that Snyder has established that particular tone this more serious, more based in reality type tone. With this movie, he continues upon those themes that he establishes, that tone that he establishes in those other movies. But there's a key difference. Surprisingly, this movie is actually more hopeful. Now, my theory is that Snyder was given notes or if literally he thought this out, which for me would be surprising that they sought it out to make these movies kind of quote-unquote be more sad, more depressing, and then have a Justice League movie be more hopeful. And either way, the movie does have that serious stakes are high tone, but there's surprisingly light moments, and it's surprisingly hopeful. And it still worked within Max Snyder's universe. The film has plenty of humor, which primarily comes from Flash, but there are like minor moments that really make sense to the characters that are involved. But the thing is, they felt more natural. In the original Justice League movie, Whedon included a lot of awkward jokes. Like, what is brunch? You know, from The Flash in that infamous scene with him and Batman. And they're supposed to lighten the film, but they just, they do two things. They bog the movie down, and they just make the scene seem awkward. And I think the principal reason it doesn't work is because those characters weren't really that established anyway, so it doesn't feel natural. Despite the film taking itself more seriously, they're still enough levity in the film to make the movie much more manageable, much more enjoyable. But the thing is, I think that the movie itself is much more consistent for these movies, especially since this is Snyder's version of these movies. And I think a big thing that helped with it is the music. 
Now, Hans Zimmer is a very uh, famous composer. Some people know him from the, working with him with Christopher Nolan on the Dark Knight trilogy, but he's also worked with Christopher Nolan on a lot of his movies as well. Hans Zimmer also worked on Pirates of the Caribbean, Ridley Scott's Gladiator. So the thing is, he has worked on a bunch of different movies before. Hans Zimmer's score for these DCEU movies, I think, fit the tone that Snyder was going for. They definitely had that serious tone to them, but they're epic in nature. And I like the dramaticness of this score. However, in the original Justice League, Junkie XL, who worked with Hans Zimmer on the soundtrack, both of them were replaced by Danny Elfman. Now, Danny Elfman is a very good composer, and I think his work is actually worth listening to. But the thing is, I want to talk about the movies that he's done. Danny Elfman worked on the Raimi Spider-Man movie, and he also worked on the Tim Burton Batman films. And the thing is, if you listen to them, you know, they have a certain whimsy to them. They fit those movies very well. You know, they don't fit this kind of movie. It just fell out of place. So the thing is, in this movie, he uses like the old Batman theme. He uses the Superman theme in it. And it just didn't fit. It just doesn't work with this kind of serious tone that Snyder was going for. And therefore, in this version, we have Junkie XL's score, which fits the tone significantly better. There's some guitar riffs. There's an epicness to it. And there's also some dramatic singing, which the dramatic singing is the, the main thing that can be a little, it is annoying, especially with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's name is like every other, she shows up, does something. Ah! <laughs> it can be a little overbearing for the uninitiated, but we are initiated here. So if we've seen the other DC movies, then you kind of are prepared for that kind of music. But that's just to say that I think Junkie XL's score fits the tone a lot better. There's a point of contention, and that is the appearance and the cinematography in this film. Now, Snyder does have like a more darker tone for the most part. I think back to 300 especially. And you kind of have like this, this weird, it still looks like a comic book, but they have like these really kind of darker colors. Not a lot of colors really stand out. It's a very kind of washed out appearance. But they are consistent in those movies for the most part. And the thing is with Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, I was just rewatching a couple scenes and I remember them having much more color. They still kind of look maybe not as washed out, but they still have color to them. Now, in the original film, it had a lot more vibrancy. We're able to see the colors on the costumes and stuff like that, which is fine. That's not the problem. But the thing is, like certain parts, like I mentioned, looked horrible. The ending fight with Steppenwolf with the Justice League is just a mess. It looks hideous. There's like this red cloud. There's like lightning all over the place. It just looks ugly. And then all the characters look red as well. So it doesn't look, it doesn't look natural. It looks very weird. It doesn't match with the rest of the other films as well. But the thing is, in this film, we have an even darker appearance to the film as a whole. There's a scene in Batman vs. Superman when Batman has like this weird vision where he goes to visit like his parents' grave and then a bat attacks him. If you go on YouTube and you find that scene, pretty much all of this movie kind of looks like that scene. The colors are kind of washed out. It could almost be considered black and white. For me, I'm not a big fan of this look. I think that you can still achieve that darker appearance, but you don't need the film to look washed out. 
The thing is, this is ultimately Snyder's vision of how he wanted to present this film. And I will say that it does fit the tone, so I'll, I'll let you decide on whether or not that affects you. Because for me, I think it looks ugly. I, I don't really like the way it looks. Another thing was the IMAX format of this film. Now, when you think of most movies, they're in widescreen, the 16 by 9 aspect ratio. So the thing is, the reason why they portray movies like this is that way you can see more of the film. It's supposed to show you the most you can. In IMAX theaters, they're supposed to be showing kind of like this more 4 by 3 aspect ratio. So the thing is, you can see more above and more from the sides as well. The entire film is presented in 4 by 3. So on your television, it'll look like a box. It looks like another box. So you're thinking, is something cut off? Which, if you go on YouTube, supposedly it's not. They show the side-by-side comparison between the original and this version, and you can see that in reality, you can see more. It's just presented in box format. The thing is, I first noticed it. Like, I noticed it when I first started watching it, and I was like, why is it like this? But then I looked it up. Apparently, that's how he wanted it to be presented. But once the movie begins, you don't really notice the aspect ratio as much. And it's just more like a warning if you're going to watch the movie, and then all of a sudden, you're like, am I missing something? You're not. But it's just weird and it looks, it doesn't look nice on this television screen. That's where for me, I would have liked to have seen this in a theater, specifically in IMAX and been like, oh, okay, I guess that this is what he was going for. But still, I think that they should have adjusted the film to actually be widescreen to really take advantage of your screen. But it is what it is. But for me, it just felt unnecessary. But that's all to say that all this, I think, fits the tone that Snyder was going for. And it is at least more consistent with Batman vs. Superman and Man of Steel. And it does feel like it is his vision and the way he wanted to tell the stories, obviously, what we saw in the movie. So now I'm going to discuss what I thought of the movie and the ending overall. So now in the original film, the ending is where Steppenwolf gets all the mother boxes and the Justice League is working to stop him. And in the original film... It looks like Steppenwolf's going to win. It looks like the mother boxes are forming the unity or whatever they do to blow up. And then Superman comes in and very easily defeats Steppenwolf. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because all the characters at this point, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, are the main people taking on Steppenwolf. And unfortunately, they're not doing a very good job in beating Steppenwolf. They're being beat up relentlessly by Steppenwolf. But then Superman comes in and very much single-handedly defeats him. And unfortunately makes Steppenwolf look like a joke. Because Superman just so easily defeated him when no one else could. Uh, The mother boxes are split by Cyborg and Superman. And then boom. The movie's it. They win. Steppenwolf is taken away. by He teleports away. And the Justice League wins. And the movie's pretty much over. And a big problem for me is that Steppenwolf is so powerful... To the point where he can defeat Wonder Woman and Aquaman pretty easily. And then at the same time, the only one that can stop him is Superman. It didn't feel like a team dynamic in this particular moment. And Cyborg is trying to blip the boxes, but he isn't doing anything else. And Flash or Batman are pretty much not important in the ending of the original film. So the thing is, the other members of the League are kind of just there for the sake of it being a team Justice League movie. And so the thing is, normally in these team-ups... You know, they normally get together to try to defeat a villain because it's a team movie. It's not just one character versus the villain. In Zack Snyder's Justice League, Steppenwolf is still very much a threat. Wonder Woman and Aquaman are still the most powerful in terms of being able to be toe-to-toe with Steppenwolf. And they're still overwhelmed. 
And Superman does come in and stops him. But then Aquaman and Wonder Woman are also contributing to the fright as well. Superman punches Steppenwolf down. Wonder Woman does her thing with her gauntlets and pushes Steppenwolf back. And then also Aquaman punches Steppenwolf as well, knocking him toward the ground. So the thing is, like in this movie, it felt like they were very much working together more as a team to be able to accomplish bringing down Steppenwolf. But the thing is, there was a big surprise with this movie that I, I was really not expecting. So the thing that happens in this iteration is that the unity does form. Steppenwolf is defeated, but the thing is, the, the boxes form, and then they destroy the planet. And the only one that isn't destroyed at that moment is Flash. For me, it reminded me a lot like the ending of Infinity War, where Thanos ultimately does succeed, and then the heroes are literally left in the dust in that movie. So in this movie, despite them working as a team, Steppenwolf ultimately does succeed. Then the only reason he fails is because of Flash. And so this is where Flash really steps up. In the moment of crisis, he goes so fast, he time travels and then reverses what happened in the explosion. And so this is where Flash is given his moment to shine. So even though he's the comedic relief throughout most of the movie, his power and his ability to go back in time adds this little extra element to make him actually vital and very much important to this movie. So the thing is, it's Cyborg and Flash working together to undo the mother boxes. And so the thing is, once Flash time travels, then Cyborg and Superman, again, they split the boxes and then they win. So Steppenwolf at this point is defeated, but then the, the Justice League ultimately kills him. So Aquaman is, stabs him, uh, Superman punches him, and then Wonder Woman decapitates Steppenwolf at this moment. And so they send him like that through a portal where Darkseid is standing and watching this. It's a very violent, gloriously violent death <laughs> to take down a villain. And then it, after it's all said and done, then they have their hero shot at the end. There's dramatic music going on. And the movie is pretty much over. The heroes win. They get their hero moment. Each character get their hero moment. And then we're able to get this nice hero shot at the very end of the movie. What follows from here is the epilogue. So a lot of it is primarily extra scenes, and most of it is in the original film. You still have Batman making the joke about, oh, I bought the bank in this film, and you still have Flash talking with his father. You have Wonder Woman doing her thing. And then you also have Lex Luthor talking with Deathstroke at the very end. But then after that is where there's a few extra scenes that are, from what I understand, are some of the reshoots that Zack Snyder did within 2020, if I'm recalling correctly. And there's some also smaller moments. There's Aquaman talking with Valko and Mira, and he discusses that he's going to go to see his father. So that's a setup for his movie. And then there's another scene where Batman and Wonder Woman, they go to Wayne Manor, and they're actually discussing, we'll set up a table. This is where the league, basically setting up the league's headquarters. So that's pretty cool. But then the very end of the film is where I think the problems start to show. There's basically two extended scenes at the end of the film. There's quote-unquote nightmare sequence where you see Batman, Mira, Cyborg, Flash, Deathstroke, and Jared Leto's Joker specifically. And they're talking about trying to stop, uh, go back in time, or whatever they're planning on doing to stop Superman from going evil. 
And that's basically the follow-up to what happened in Batman vs. Superman. In that film, Batman has like a vision from Flash where he tells him that, no, you have to stop him and all this stuff. Basically, this is where Zack Snyder wanted to show that ultimately there was going to be this kind of dark future and that they would go back in time to try to stop it, to prevent it from actually happening. So there's that sequence. And then at the very end, it's where Batman and Martian Manhunter actually discuss that Darkseid's going to come back to Earth. He's going to try to find the quote-unquote anti-life equation. And then finally, the movie ends. So this is where I have the most problems with the ending. I felt like once Cyborg's father was done with the speech, like the monologue that he was giving to his son, I think once that was over, then the movie should have ended. That felt like closure. I was watching some people and their opinions were maybe it should have just ended on the hero shot. And I think that having the hero shot was nice. But at the same time, I think that you needed kind of like that finality. You needed something to kind of hold it together, so to speak. But the ending, those scenes, especially with Jared Leto Joker, they were kind of teased at in the trailer. And so that's why you see Jared Leto in this movie. And it's just awful. I really do not like those extended scenes. It, it just deflates any of the goodwill I had toward the movie. You get this hype, you know, the heroes save day and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, when is this movie going to end? You know, certain things should not drag out for as long as they did. Now, some people may like that, but personally for me, it, it, was, it just didn't work. Those scenes in particular could have been like extended, quote unquote, extended, extended. They could have been deleted scenes that were like extras on HBO Max, but not in the actual movie itself. They could have even been end end credit scenes. But for me to put them in the actual movie itself just made it feel like, oh my gosh, like I just want this movie to end already. The movie's already four hours long and these scenes do nothing. They, they don't add to the story. They're just teasers for something that will never happen unless Warner Brothers for some reason decides to go back to Snyder to do more movies, which I don't think is going to happen. But now we're going to talk about the problems I had with the movie overall and my ultimate recommendation. And now that I've discussed the whole movie, I want to talk about what I actually thought about it. So watching the original and watching this version, very clearly the Snyder Cut version of Justice League is significantly better movie than the original. And Snyder really did have something here. And it's a shame that we didn't get this in the original film. I think for better or for worse, I think Snyder should have been allowed to release some version of this film in the first place than releasing this as a director's cut four years after the original because it's almost a different movie entirely. Its tone is different. The movie has a lot more backstory. And the action, I actually enjoyed it a little bit better in this movie overall. But that's not to say that this movie is without issue for sure. I think for me, the biggest criticism of this movie is that it's just way too long. For a four-hour movie, realistically speaking, Warner Brothers was never going to release this in theaters. It would never have flown. <laughs> Besides fans of DC, I think most mainstream audiences would never watch this. Now, that's not to say that super fans, I mean, they'll see Marvel movies. But the thing is, with those movies, especially recently, Avengers Endgame was like three hours long. And the thing is, Marvel had built up so much goodwill over so many years. Between the first Iron Man and then Avengers Endgame, that's like eight, uh, ten years, something like that. And so we've already seen these characters. We've grown with these characters throughout these years. With the original Justice League, there was only like four movies. 
that's nowhere near enough time to set up this team up movie. And now the thing is like, I'm comparing this one to Avengers Endgame, which is not really fair. It would be a better comparison to compare it to the first Avengers. But the thing is, even before the first Avengers movie, there were still more movies before that one. We had the Captain America movie. We had Thor. We had two Iron Man movies. And most of the characters we had seen in those movies. And then we finally got to see an Avengers movie. This one just didn't have that same level of commitment from Warner Brothers. And so in this movie, you have to introduce so many things. Aquaman movie should have happened first. The Flash movie should have happened as well. And Cyborg as well. Especially since Cyborg was such a central character, he should have had a movie first. I think Flash, his introduction, I think was fine in the original. And in this one, I felt mostly the same about him, even though he is technically better in this one. But to say that if Cyborg's going to be such a big player and him not have a movie, then that's just not good planning on Warner Brothers' part. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around. I don't necessarily blame Snyder, per se, for what happened with this movie. And I don't even blame Josh Whedon for what happened in the original movie. Ultimately, the blame falls on Warner Brothers. They wanted to brush this product. They wanted to rush and try to compete with Marvel, which is not realistic. It is a fool's errand to try to do something like that without having the goodwill built up over so many years. So that's where they really shot themselves in the foot with the original Justice League. That's why there's not that much continuity with these movies. That's why you have this new Batman movie that's going to come out with Robert Benson, which looks very good. And then you also have like this new Suicide Squad movie that's going to come out this year. The continuity is not really consistent anymore. You have so many things in the DC universe that are not connected, but they're still in DC. You know, they're just not connected in this extended universe like Marvel has. Now, I think that it's not really fair to blame just Warner Brothers for something like that. It's also just the expectations that certain fans could have built up. Now, for me, I've always been a big fan of DC characters, especially Batman. I'm more familiar with DC's lineup than I am with Marvel's for sure. Marvel for me was primarily Spider-Man. So by saying that the Justice League movie should have been better is an understatement. It should have been better. I think that this movie overall was better than the original Justice League, but I still don't think that this is the movie that really the general audience should have gotten. For me, the reason I say that is because some people may not like the type of tone that the movie has presented itself as. Like I've said throughout, it's been a very serious tone from the beginning, from Man of Steel to this version of Justice League and in Snyder's uh, universe and his vision. You know, there's plenty of violence. You know, you have that Superman killing Zod in front of children. And then you have, in this one, we have a literal decapitation. And then also the DCEU movies have been inconsistent throughout. You have varying degrees of quality. You know, you have a movie like Wonder Woman. And then you have a, a movie like Suicide Squad. Now, you may enjoy aspects of both. But I think overall, you can say that a movie like Wonder Woman is significantly better. And it makes more sense for a mainstream audience to watch that than to see a Suicide Squad movie with editing problems. But whereas Marvel, especially in the MCU, has had that consistency for so many years, even if some of their movies have been lackluster, and that is not to say that all their movies are great either. But I think the biggest strength from Marvel has been that their characters have been well-received for the most part. And DC still has a long way to go to figuring out what it ultimately wants to do. Are we going to go in this more lighthearted, more Marvel tone? Or are we going to try to go back 
to this more serious tone. And I think I know the answer. I think that they've moved on from this serious tone. And their movies in the DC universe are not really connected anymore. Warner Brothers can release a movie like Joker, for example, and then Shazam. You know, those are very, very different movies. They're both DC movies, but they're not connected at all. So I think that Warner Brothers is just going to continue with this unconnected universe, which is unfortunate. I would have loved to have seen a good Justice League movie eventually down the line. And that's not to say that this one isn't pretty good. I'm just saying that one where we've been built up for so many years and then we get a team-up movie. That is what I want to see. And the Snyder Cut, his style may not be for everyone. It's not to say that I don't enjoy his movies, but his DC movies have not been my favorite throughout. His use of slow-mo and dramaticness is a bit much in the way the DC universe has been presented. And I think the other thing is we got to remember these are superhero movies. They're not character dramas and they're not symbols either. And I think that's where Snyder, he treats these people like so much larger than life. I mean, they quote unquote are godlike, but at the same time, you make them so not relatable, then it can make it very difficult for your audience to latch onto these characters. So when these movies are trying to be more like the Dark Knight, it's not going to work every single level. And so discussing those negatives, I still would recommend this movie. And when I watched it the first time, I had plenty of fun. I enjoyed the action sequences in this movie especially. I think most of it is a big improvement from the original. I like the new character developments, and I think that's its biggest strength. You give these characters moments to breathe, moments to actually have character. And I think that we actually got to get good Justice League movie, maybe not at the level of like the first Avengers, but I still think that it was a pretty good movie overall. It's epic in scale. There's no denying that. And it is ambitious for what it is. And the people behind the release the Snyder Cut movement, I'm sure they will love this movie. I think that this is what the fans wanted. And I'm sure Snyder is happy that he's got to complete his quote unquote, his trilogy for DC. Even though it is a shame that there are some things in this movie that we'll probably never see, like Martian Manhunter, Darkseid. But who knows? We'll see what happens in the future. And I'm going to give the movie probably around a 7.5 out of 10 and a thumbs up. So my recommendation is if you do not have time, then I would recommend watching it episodically. Like I said, there are six chapters in an epilogue. You could probably watch two chapters, and that's about an hour's worth. And you can watch it over several days, and I think you'll still enjoy it. But I think you'll be doing a disservice by watching it like that. And I think you should sit down and just watch it in one sitting. And I think you'll have a good time. I really do. And thank you for listening to the first episode of the Randomly Accessed podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the channel MX, where I'll post updates as to the, when the latest episodes are going to be released. And be sure to follow us on YouTube, where I also post video versions of these episodes as well. Thank you for everyone for listening. Bye-bye.